welcome to the Nerd Party. Welcome to Great Shot Kid, the Nerd Party's podcast where we talk about the artistic and technical inspirations of Star Wars creators, both past and present. I'm John. And I'm Mike. And this week we have a special treat for you because we're going to be looking at an angle for Blade Runner 2049 and The Force Awakens. Before we get into it, want to uh, throw out there for everybody that you can reach us, of course, at thenerdparty.com slash contact. You can reach us on Twitter at join nerd party using the hashtag great shot kid you you can find us on instagram at the nerd party uh again the, the hashtag is great shot kid and of course on facebook facebook.com slash the nerd party so one last thing before we get into the comparison of approach of the force awakens and blade runner 2049 is in case anybody doesn't know, if you're new to listening to the wonderful insights of Mike Schindler on a podcast, you'll realize that 2017 is the year that Mike is foregoing previews of all sorts. He's not watching trailers for films. That's without exception, correct, Mike? Or have you made exceptions this year? Very few exceptions. I mean, there's sometimes where I just end up seeing it because of whatever, like, seen the trailer for Daddy's Home 2 a couple times because I was worried about the theater that I was watching a movie at not showing, you know, a movie in the correct format, you know, all that stuff. So it's like I'm looking at it. I'm like, you know, I don't know. Those blacks don't look black enough. I'm not re really sure that they've got the Dolby turned on. I'm not seeing a lot of, you know, image detail in the in the white areas. So, you know, it might, you know, things like that. You know, but um, for the most part, I, I don't watch trailers. Now, I have made one exception, and that is for Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. When I was in um, Orlando for the celebration, uh, since they were debuting the trailer and since I was there and everything, I watched the trailer when they showed it twice, back to back. I haven't seen it since. So, there you go. So all you have are, you know, just, just your first sense impressions of hearing Luke speak finally and uh, and seeing Ray taking a, a, a deep breath after falling to the stones. Yeah. So a second trailer has come out and you still haven't watched it and you're not going to watch it. Correct. Yes. We, sh we should note that the second trailer came out mere minutes ago, you know, when from when we were recording this. Yeah. Mere minutes ago. Yeah, so I, I've only seen it once, and uh, th this was the big world premiere of it um, for anybody that watched it on Monday Night Football or just waited two and a half minutes to, for it to show up online. Yeah, um, Chicago Bears, bear down. <laughs> well, either way, um, you issued a challenge to me for how would I describe this trailer to somebody who hasn't seen it. But okay, but here's the thing, like, because I did this, I did this on uh, my my other show, Soderbergh twenty eight twenty eight with Logan Lucky. Since the entire podcast was building up to Logan Lucky, and I didn't watch the trailer, so I'm gonna um, give you the same guidelines that I gave Marcelo over on that show. Describe the trailer to me without using any specifics in terms of shots, in terms of content, in terms of characters. Anything. How do you describe what you just saw to me? That they are very much hinting toward 
a darker path than anticipated okay for like certain that. characters okay that the effects for one character look amazing for the brief moment that you see this character okay i that, don't know what that would be i'm assuming it's a porg no no what it's not yet? a porg it's uh-huh. it's another character that you've met before okay and you see this character in more detail than you did in the force awakens and you say wow that's pretty impressive. Okay. Um, and I can also tell you that they they may be playing coy with the Porgs by only having walls and walls of Porg mugs everywhere and T-shirts and Tickle Me Porg and all of those other Porgs. But it's gonna they're going to get at least one laugh line in, in The Last Jedi. And I will also say without describing a specific shot that... Chewbacca didn't look right to me. It was the first time where I could, I mean, you could kind of tell in The Force Awakens that the eyes weren't quite right in certain shots, but with this, Chewbacca makes uh, an exclamation, and it was the first time I looked at it and said, that's a different actor. Yeah, you know, always problems with recasting. You know, I, I don't know, because it's interesting because, I, I mean, I guess I didn't realize, I mean, I should have, but I didn't realize, like, how much w- was done in Force Awakens with a new actor. And there were numerous moments in The Force Awakens where I was like, I like the timing of that line better. Almost like his dialogue was better and his performance was better. And I came to this realization, like, months after seeing the movie and it it kind of it kind of broke my heart in a way, but like I think I prefer this new guy's performance to Peter Mayhew's. I I don't know that I agree with that, okay. uh, but I I will also say that this trailer was much more Kylo Ren focused than the first trailer was. All right, and there was plenty of Luke in it. Okay, so All right. and uh, it, it it looks intriguing. I am it it accomplished what a trailer should do, which is I am legitimately curious now about what's going to happen in this film. Yeah. And wondering how they're misdirecting me in the trailer because I I know that they are, but there are definitely moments that I find very intriguing. There was one moment that I found less than intriguing, but I it has the opportunity to surprise me. Uh, you know, in context and everything. Like cool. That. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It sounds like I, I, I made a good choice in terms of uh, purchasing tickets. For yeah, show. I uh, I purchased my my tickets. I've got the uh, 7 p.m. Thursday night showing dead center of the auditorium in right where the uh, the seat break is so that there's plenty of leg room. And if you have to for some reason, get out and go to the bathroom, you can actually not interfere with anybody's sight lines, which is pretty great. Did you, did you, so you went with the seven, you didn't go with the fan event thing? That, no. That, no. I, look, man, I, as much as I've come around on The Force Awakens, the only thing you need to watch from The Force Awakens to prepare for The Last Jedi in all seriousness is the last five minutes. Like well, no, it. I mean, because the, there were multiple things. There was the fan event. Again, that was that was part of the problem that I ran into. But there's the fan event, which is the movie at 6 o'clock, where for the true fans, John, 
And um, wait, wait, it's, <laughs> what do you get? You get uh, trading cards and um, a concession combo varies by theater. And uh, you get to see the movie an hour before everyone else. And there's exclusive content, which no one else will get to see, which is like probably five minutes of someone saying, it's really important that we make this movie for the fans. It's gonna, it's gonna be, it's gonna be just like the quote unquote extra content in front of Close Encounters that we saw. Yeah, probably less than that. Yeah, yeah. It, probably. It's probably, it's probably, it's gonna be a brief moment of Kathleen Kennedy talking about how excited she was about how great the script was that Ryan mm-hmm. Johnson wrote, and then Ryan Johnson talking about being a fan, and then some other like Mark Hamill saying, "I'm really interested in you know what people think about where Luke went." Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, so you didn't go with that version. No, I, I don't think that the theater I went with uh, had that option, actually, because 7 p.m. was the earliest showing that they listed. And yeah. instead of going for one of the mainline theaters or one of the big theaters down here, I went with one that I know for a fact is relatively new that not a lot of people know about, but still on sort of like the outskirts that are still under development. It's mm-hmm. a really nice theater. And it's a really clean theater, and it's a really well-maintained theater, and it seems to have all of the latest uh, accoutrement and and those sorts of things, but it seems pretty empty the times that I've scouted it out. So I think that it's one of those theaters that not a lot of people know about. Yeah, so, yeah. Did that's, you, that's cool. Yeah, not all theaters are doing the fan event thing. I, I think they were being selective with who they give it to. Um, so, yeah, I mean, because I, I went, I, I was like, okay, because they made the announcement like, here are all the different things. We're going to do the fan event. We're going to do the regular thing. And then uh, also on that that day, we're going to be doing double features with The Force Awakens. And we're going to be doing eight movie marathons. And I'm like, oh, I want to see an eight movie marathon, you know? And I, I looked it up, you know, I'm like, where are they doing it? And like AMC, the only place they were doing it was in Disney World. And I'm like, that's not fair, you know, because I know two people who live in, in Disney World who are like, I'm not going to that. That's I mean, yes- absolutely <laughs> correct. You do. You yes- do know two people like that. Yesterday I was talking to Max about it. I'm like, so are you going? He's like, no. He's like, that sounds terrible. I'm like, not even to see like Empire. And he's like, so what? Okay, so three movies that I hate. And then I see, you know, the original trilogy and then what i go home for a couple of hours and then come back it's like that doesn't make any sense why would i do that i'm like come on man how can you not but whatever so i'm like okay i have to settle for a double feature and i was looking at the places that had it and i'm like okay well this place is 3d i don't want that this place is IMAX, but also 3D. I don't want that. This place is 2D. And then one of my favorite theaters was like, it's 2D. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to go there then. You know, like I, 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 they said, I, like I asked them online or whatever. I'm like, is it 2D? And they're like, yes, it's 2D. I'm like, okay, so I'll go to this theater. Hopefully they'll stick us in a fairly big theater. So instead of trying the whole Fandango thing, I decided to drive to the theater and buy my tickets there. And they have like, you know, like the automated kiosk things. 
So I went and I clicked on December 14th and they're like, what movie would you like to see? And literally like six or seven movies popped up and they're all Star Wars. And it's like, would you like to see it in 2D? Would you like to see it in 3D? Would you like to see the fan event? Would you like to see the regular show? Would you like to see it in IMAX? IMAX 3D, IMAX 2D, Dolby 2D. I mean, these are all literally things that they had. And I'm like, I can't even read what these things are. I don't know what they all are, you know? And then I saw a double feature and I'm like, well, that's it right there. And I click it, and it's like IMAX. And I'm like, IMAX? Uh, 2D? Because they had like an IMAX 3D show after. And I'm like, okay, is this IMAX 2D? So I'm like, okay, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. There's no one else here. Okay. So I go into the theater, and I go up to the box office, and I'm like, excuse me, um, for your double feature, is that IMAX 2D? And they're like, oh, we no, they haven't told us anything about Star Wars. We don't know anything. Uh, tickets are you know aren't on sale yet. Um, check back tomorrow. And I'm like, no, they're on. I like I, I literally I had I was able to I was just about to buy them at your kiosk. They're on sale, and they're like, no, they're not, and we don't know anything about it. And I'm like, okay. So I turned around and walked outside the theater, back to the kiosk, and I'm like, all right. So I go to that thing, and I'm like, this looks like it's 2D. They told me it was 2D online, whatever. I'm going to buy it. Worst case scenario, I've got, you know, a really fairly nice fake IMAX screen where I can watch these movies, even if it is 3D. So I buy all the tickets, you know, and I got them. And then, like, there was one other guy there, and he's like, you, you getting tickets for Star Wars? And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, they said... And he, he's like, I just went in there. and They, they said they don't know anything. And I'm like, uh, I, here, I'm like, I know. I just talked to them right now. They said that they would check back tomorrow. But clearly, you, I, I've got my tickets right here. And he's like, I've got my tickets too. And he's like, what are you going to see? I'm like, I'm going to see a double feature. He's like, me too. And then he starts telling me about how like he just finished showing all the other movies to a seven-year-old. And he's intentionally holding off on episode seven and he's going to bring his seven-year-old to this and then you know they'll get to see those two movies you know for the first time that's that's kind of gorgeous i kind of like that man that's pretty great yeah it was pretty pretty cool for him so i had a nice little chat with him and then i'm like all right i'll see you in a couple months and then i go back into the theater because i'm like looking at the seating chart and you never know with those things right and there's like three rows in the front and then a break right and then a a big section in the middle and then a break and then another big section and usually you go with the first break but i'm like three rows in an imax and i thought they had remodeled this this theater since last i'd been in there or whatever and i wasn't sure but i went with the second break i'm like i hope i'm not you know all the way in the parking lot for this but okay whatever i'll go with the second break and I'm second guessing myself and I knew that I would be for the next two months if I didn't go back inside and I go up to the box office and I'm like, I know that tickets aren't on sale until tomorrow, but just so that I'm ready when it comes time for me to purchase them, can I stick my head in that theater and just take a look and see where the seats are? And they're like, yeah, go ahead. So I went in there, saw Blade Runner playing in the wrong aspect ratio. And then I, uh, you know, what? 
No. Well, because it's IMAX. So Oh, uh, oh, well, okay. Uh, by default. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I got gotcha. you. And 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 I went up and I'm like, "Yes. Yes, I did in fact buy the best seats in the theater." So I'm happy. I'm all set. I'm good to go for December 14th. For I uh I I, I'm just happy to say that uh, I I was able to get my tickets and um, was was sitting there during bedtime uh, with with my daughters. I, I always read to uh, the eldest uh, before she goes to bed because she she likes hearing me read Tolkien to her. And I'm sitting there and I had the computer off to the side and I'm like, okay, hold on, honey. Yeah, okay, it's for sale. And I, I, you know, I start going through and everything, and I'm like, oh, you know how daddy gets, you know, I, I, I just, you know, whether the movie's good or bad, I just don't want to give anybody the opportunity to spoil it for me because you know that I have some great friends, but I also have some jerk face friends that would love to do that to me. And she goes, yeah, I know, daddy. I was like, yeah, you, you get it. And uh, I, I was like, I got my tickets. She goes, oh, that's good. And she crinkles her nose and she says, I hope it's better than Rogue One. And I was like, and I just gave her a big hug and a kiss, Damn. and I said, "I love you. I love you, honey. You're great." <laughs> this kid, this kid, she loves the last hour of Rogue One, but what uh, wasn't nuts about the first? But but you mentioned sticking your head in to check the uh, the theater, and uh, the the theater I bought it for is uh, uh, X Epic XLD, whatever Epic Theaters. Their their format that's like RPX or whatever. But I saw a picture of their auditorium, and it's basically Limax, but yeah. Limax in the way that AMC, uh, the Disney Springs is, mm-hmm. where it's that nice big screen and you know deep auditorium. So I'm um, I'm good with that. Um, but you mentioned seeing Blade Runner twenty forty nine playing in there, and that was sort of the thing that you and I were talking about leading up to tonight. Is of course the Force Awakens comes back into mind. Uh, with The Last Jedi coming out. And Blade Runner 2049 finds itself in similar territory of resurrecting a a, a Harrison Ford franchise, you know, decades later, to interesting results. And what we wanted to look at here was comparing the approach of The Force Awakens with Blade Runner 2049 and seeing how they line up with each other you know like how are they different how are they the same and so that's i I do want to throw that question to you because we've both seen blade runner 2049 we've both obviously seen the force awakens what do you see that's similar and what do you see that's different between the approaches with uh with how how they came at these 30 year later sequels i think it's really interesting because you know, I mean, there is like obviously a desire to revisit these franchises. And, you know, in the past, the thing to do has been to, you know, do remakes. And certainly that is something which is still done rather frequently. But when you've got something like Star Wars, which has such a, a legacy, really, you can't do a remake. You just can't, right? And you can do the prequels or whatever, and that's fine. But you know, the thing that everyone wants to see is Han, Luke, and Leia. And they want to see them played by Harrison Ford, Mark Hamill, and Carrie Fisher. And that's a huge deal. You know, it's it's like a, a return to this thing that we all remember, but now much, much later, decades and decades later. And there have been movies which have done this in the past uh, on, a, I think, a much smaller scale most of the time. I mean, the 
the one that comes to mind, which a lot of people I think would consider to be the gold standard, is um, The Color of Money, you know, which is a sequel to The Hustler. Um, uh, you know, another one, of course, which is sort of like designed and maybe is kind of borderline is, you know, the Before Trilogy, although I don't think that that really counts. But, you know, Force Awakens, surely that counts. And Blade Runner 2049, surely that counts. And it's really interesting how they did take two different approaches. And I think they both kind of like speak to what those franchises are in a lot of ways. You know, like with Force Awakens, as many people have criticized, you know, it feels at times like a greatest hits album, right? You know, oh, look, it's, you know, the, the... the Millennium Falcon again, and it's a Death Star again, and we're going to have, you know, pretty much the same structure, and, you know, there's a guy, and he's got a droid, and he likes the droid, and he's a hotshot pilot, and he's, you know, kind of a rogue, and then there's this kid who doesn't know that, you know, she's got, you know, superpowers, and then she's going to discover that and become a Jedi, and I mean, there's a lot of similarities, right? And I don't necessarily think that that's a bad thing, but I think that really what they were trying to do, which a lot of people have criticized them for doing, even in terms of the style compared to, let's say, the prequels, was get back to the way the originals were. You know, hit all of the the touchstones, you know, hit all of the iconic moments and the iconic imagery and really get back to what the originals were, even if it is a sequel 30 years later. But, you know, hey, we're going to get to see Harrison Ford and stuff, and that's cool. With Blade Runner, I feel like that's a movie which was never meant to have a sequel, right? I mean, it ended, and that was it, and that was great, and it's been perfectly fine as it is, well, with minor alterations, for the past, you know, 35 years, right? And it's considered to be like a piece of art, in the pretentious sense, you know, not that Star Wars isn't, but, you know, Blade Runner is something that, you know, the uh, the hipsters will, will uh, embrace. And now to have a sequel to that 35 years later, you run into that problem of like, okay, you know, hey, it's, 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 another, you know, just like Force Awakens, you know, Blade Runner, it's popular and we're going to bring it back and we're going to bring Harrison Ford back and everything. And it's like, well, what do you do with that? Do you basically do the same thing now? Ryan Gosling is the new Blade Runner. And it is that. But the approach that they take in terms of the story, in terms of the visuals and everything, is like, this is in that world. This is definitely an extension of that story. But it's not like a a revamp of that story, too. You know? It's just another thing, the next logical step in this world. And yeah, there are some similarities, but for the most part, it's really building on top of what came before instead of, you know, just just redoing it. And the other thing which I think is really interesting is where Star Wars Episode Seven was clearly, I mean, they just put it right on Front Street. It's like, this is the start of a franchise and we will get another Star Wars movie every year from now until the end of time. Like Blade Runner 
it ends just as much as the original did, right? I mean, you you look at it and you're like, well, yeah. I mean, they could do a sequel, yeah. but it's not like they're saying like, tune in next year. I mean, it's like this story's done. Wow. Okay, that's cool. I, we we finished it again. That's awesome. You know. Yeah. So uh, I, I think that that's that. Those are the two approaches that I see, and the two different approaches that I see. And uh, yeah, I'm curious as to what you think about all that. I know I just like vomited all of that up <laughs> and there's pretty much nothing left to no. say for my oh, point, no. but I want, what I want to hear is what, you know, what you think. Am I wrong? No, Did you have the same reaction? What, what's the deal? Okay. I had the same reaction, but I would add on to it this. And I know that uh, in terms of certain circles, I'm an apostate in terms of other circles. I'm an apologist in terms of, other circles, I'm a nut job, but you can be all three. Yeah, I know they're not mutually exclusive, but the Force Awakens, as everybody knows, as everybody hears me talk about all the time, I had to come around on. I had a, an initial rea- reaction to it that was not great. Uh, I had sort of a rejection to it. It took my third viewing with my kids with me to suddenly get into it, and I think that. Blade Runner 2049 creates a new crisis with it that is interesting. Not a crisis. I mean, that, that's an overstatement. But The Force Awakens is Star Wars as entertainment. And what I had grown accustomed to with George Lucas at the helm through the prequels and through the Clone Wars was Star Wars as art. And even with the originals, too, with him at the helm. Star Wars was Star Wars, but it was always challenging. And it was always new and different. And it wasn't settling for what it was. It was always doing something weird or or different or expanding something. And Blade Runner 2049 does that. So for, from my perspective, Blade Runner 2049 is very much evokes the feeling that I would have at my core wanted from The Force Awakens and Rogue One that I didn't get. I accept The Force Awakens and Rogue One because this is what Star Wars is now, and there is a very clear demarcation between Star Wars with Lucas and Star Wars as a Disney property. I get it. I'm okay with it. It works. But Blade Runner 2049 reminded me of what it is for somebody to say, okay, this is technically a quote-unquote franchise, but I'm going to make something so incredible and unique and moving and stirring that everybody in the audience is going to be reminded of what it's like to be delivered art in a film. And the what it really crystallized for me was a comparison to another Disney property that didn't do particularly well at the box office but should have done better and was a great reinvention while revisiting a franchise, which was Tron Legacy. Yeah, no, that's true. That is that is a good example. Um, and, and, I mean, I guess in terms of that type of reinvention, I would kind of consider Tron Legacy to be the gold standard. I mean, I liked, you know, Blade Runner 2049 a whole bunch. Um, but Tron Legacy is, is, is a straight-up masterpiece um, and much, much better than the original. So, um, yeah, I can totally see that. You know, it's interesting because when you were saying that, I was just kind of like thinking about another clear example from the same 
filmmaker, and that's Ridley Scott. You know, when he decided to revisit Alien, he made Prometheus, which I think, much like Blade Runner 2049, was an attempt to reimagine the material and bring it forward into a new place, so much so that doesn't it's not even called Alien, right? And I think that that was really kind of a bold choice. And you hear like what he was planning on doing with the sequels and everything, and it's like, wow, you know, you were really going to go for it, weren't you? And then, you know, Prometheus comes out, and like it or not, no one else did. So, um, you know, I, I think uh, in, in a lot of ways, uh, that kind of, I mean, he, he's been very, very candid about it. He's like, I thought the audience would go with me on this journey, and they won't. What they want are the xenomorphs. Sorry, Max. And uh, because of that, you know, this year, earlier this year, he comes out with Alien Covenant, which is very much the Force Awakens of the Alien franchise. I wouldn't elevate Alien Covenant to that level. Because oh, I'm not talking that... about in terms of quality. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, all, right. No. Uh, all right. All right, yes, I, I completely agree with you then. Yeah, that, that Alien Covenant is an attempt to recapture what was uh, so special. I think that Star Wars finds it found itself slotted in an odd place because of the fact that the originals were so beloved and the prequels were not. And as a result, it's a specific attempt to redress. So like Abrams was the right guy to bring in because all of his films are an attempt to revisit what he loved about his childhood. And I don't take that as a knock, but that's just what it like. The, the most original film probably that he's done is mission impossible three. And I think that you look at these other things and it's very much him revisiting and remaking, in a sense, what he loved. So it fits for that. But I just, it, it's so difficult because 2049, in a sense, hurts because it's it's what I expect and want. It's what I think I would have gotten. In the marrow of my bones, it's what I think I would have gotten the sort of thing I would have gotten from Lucas had he done episode seven. Had he and Arndt said, we're not going to sell to Disney. Screw it. We're going we're gonna to push ahead with this. I think we would have gotten something along these lines where it, it wouldn't have necessarily been a big commercial success. It would have done okay. But fans like me would have seen it and said, this, all of this, this is what I wanted. And I, for me, my reaction to Blade Runner 2049, I had a dream the night that I saw it where I had a, it was a completely original dream, but it was in a setting from the film. Like it, it got in there. And I think that it's, it's an incredible work of art and it's what I want from film and it's what I want from big films. And it's what I want to see when I go to the movie theater. And I just... It's hard, man. It's hard to reconcile my my coming around on the Force Awakens with my reaction for twenty forty nine. I mean, like I'm, I'm, I guess I'm really torn in this particular discussion because, uh, conceptually speaking, I'm totally down with the twenty forty nine take on legacy filmmaking. Right, capture the essence of the original 
by doing something new, you know, by doing something that you haven't seen before. I mean, if if we're, you know, going to be, like, honest about it, like, <laughs> the, the Star Wars that everyone was looking for back in 1999 was The Matrix, right? Because it was that thing which came out of nowhere and completely blew everyone away and made them look at movies in a completely new fashion, right? I mean, that's what the original Star Wars did. That's what people were looking for from the prequels. That's what they would never get from the prequels, no matter how good or bad they were. But it's something that you get from an original sci-fi property. Uh, So, I mean, that's, you know, that's what The Matrix was, right? And, you know... 2049's approach to 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 the, the to the material I think is is really interesting and cool and definitely what fans of Blade Runner I think would want whereas you know because it's Disney spending 4 billion dollars and because like them or not the prequels have a very bad reputation with the people coming to see these movies you have to be very, very calculated as a studio when you're making your legacy sequel, and you've got to make sure that it, it, you know, touches all of those things that people love about the original. And, you know, by doing that, by, by sort of like placing that mandate on the filmmakers, whether or not they're, you know, in agreement with it to, to start you're limiting yourself right there. Like there's only so much that you can do. You're putting a cap on it. Whereas with Blade Runner 2049, I I mean, for one thing, you've got Hampton Fancher still involved along with, you know, Michael Green, but Denis Villeneuve is there. Denis Villeneuve is not going to make The Force Awakens. Denis Villeneuve is going to make whatever he wants to make and it's going to be crazy and weird and awesome right and maybe not tremendously accessible to the mainstream and he's the guy who's making he's the guy who's going to go see a Blade Runner sequel and he knows what it needs to be and this is what it needs to be and that being said I think The Force Awakens is a much better movie than than Blade Runner 2049 but in oh, I don't theory agree with that well, that's yeah, I, I, no. that's that's cool. In theory, though, the 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 approach that they took to twenty forty nine, I think, is definitely the way to go. Because even though you might fail, you're going to fail big, and that's the only way that you can succeed. I mean, Prometheus, prime example, right? It failed, but if they had just made Alien Covenant instead of Prometheus, it would have been like, okay, cool, Ridley Scott's back. That's exciting. I don't know what else you want me to say about this movie because there's literally nothing else to say about this movie, you know? Okay, uh, see, the twenty forty nine, I think, it is is a, a, you know an absolute success, and I think that the in terms of being a film and being a film worth seeing and being a film that is going to sit in my brain for a very long time that I'm going to think about constantly. And, uh, you know, again, tabling all of these things that like Force Awakens looks beautiful. Force Awakens is really well made. Force Awakens has a lot of great things going for it that I really, really enjoy. But it's not challenging. And I think that 20, I think that the the key difference in our, our take on 2049 here is I think that 2049 is 
the type of film that needs to be made. And I think that there is an interesting window here where if Lucas had been willing to be simply producer, executive producer on a Star Wars film, we could have gotten something like this for episode seven. But he was never going to be satisfied being that. He knew he knew that. He knows that. He even admitted that. He said, if I'd been involved, I'd have been on the set every day, and it would have been, you know, there, there's this tacit admission from him that it would have been Return of the Jedi all over again where he would be overriding the director and that sort of thing. But if he could have done what Ridley Scott did here, we could have gotten something so truly beautiful and and expansive and different that I I mourn its loss, the, this loss of this thing that we never got. But see, we still could get it. You know, I mean, once this well runs dry, however long it takes for that to happen, there is going to be reinvention, right? And it's probably not going to be that far off, to be honest. You know, there always is. And, you know, someone's going to come in with a fresh take like Villeneuve and they're going to 2049 it. But, like, I mean, as far as, like, why I, I think this movie is good or whatever or better, Force Awakens, why it works better for me, I, I mean, I think that a lot of it does have to do with the fact that I didn't grow up with Blade Runner. You know, I saw it for the first time in high school, and then I kind of dismissed it until, I don't know, maybe when the final cut came out. I, I think I'd seen it in between them, whatever. But, you know, it, it was not like a thing which was a part of my life, whereas Star Wars has always been a part of my life. And there were moments going on between the moments. There were moments between the lines in Force Awakens where it wasn't just nostalgia playing. It was, it was a before, you know, sunset thing which was going on where it's like I've spent my entire life, my entire childhood with these characters. Now I get to see them grown up in a sense. And there's just something fulfilling about that as a, as a saga, you know, something that you don't get from the prequels because you're seeing it in reverse, you know, and we know where they end up, but this is like something where it's like, there's Han again. I haven't seen him in 30 years. This is insane. I'm glad that he's doing okay. You know, I hope he finds his son. See, I, I don't, I, I don't, I, th- this is, this is very important to me is I don't want the people who've been waiting for this weird moment where I suddenly switch back and start kicking on the force awakens, Matt rushing. This isn't what's happening right now. I'm not stomping on the force awakens. I have come to appreciate it and I truly do appreciate it. And I truly do enjoy it. And I still enjoy it. Even for even if the metaphorical stuff that I enjoy about it is accidental, then fine. It still works for me. This is more of a thing where I think that I enjoyed 2049 more than I expected to. And I think that it this is like Dunkirk, where part of the way through watching it, I realized I was watching a filmmaker making art and it was weird because I'm so used to Star Wars as a Marvel movie now. I'm so used to Marvel movies themselves. I'm so used to DC aping Marvel movies. I'm so used to all of this stuff that I've gotten tired of 
for somebody to come into this and just throw down and say, no, I'm making a film. It's just, it, it can be disorienting. Yeah, it can be. And I mean, I guess I, I can see that in everything. And it's kind of like weird because it's like, I went in expecting a movie and I got a film. But I mean, like to me, whenever that happens, and you know, maybe it did happen here for me too. And I mean, you know, just like you're saying, like you don't want to bash The Force Awakens. I mean, I think we're both in agreement that both The Force Awakens and Blade Runner 2049 are good movies, right? I mean, yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely liked Blade Runner 2049. I don't think it's one of the best movies of the year or anything like that, but, you know, I think that it's great. But when I when I run into that, I'm like, oh, my God, this is a film. But it's almost like you're just saying, like, well, I was expecting it just to be commercialism, right? But it, it ended up being art. And it's like, well, I could have just gone to see Wind River then. Because I know that that wasn't there that, you know, they don't have the, the, the Happy Meals coming out for that movie. So I, I don't know. I mean, maybe what that says to us is and to anyone else who's feeling that way is start watching better movies. You know, don't go to the big blockbusters. Don't go to see Justice League. Go to see Victoria and Abdul. I wouldn't say that. I don't think that that qualifies. I think that's just as commercial as any of these. Just to a, you know, it's just marketing to our our moms instead of mother. Uh, Would you tell people to go see mother? Yeah, there you go. Go see mother. That's going out on a limb. Go see mother. It's good. It's fun. <laughs> fun. Yeah. Okay. There's a difference between encouraging people to see art and there's and lying. <laughs> so, uh, you know, just, there, there uh, are moments you know. in, in mother where I'm like, ah, oh my God. Like, like, I mean, my, my reaction to mother is like, this has like the worst rating in like film history or whatever, but from like viewers and I'm watching, I'm like, I can understand why people don't like this. I can understand why people don't like this. I don't understand why they hate it. I don't understand why, what g- gives it that F right. And we're going through the whole movie. I'm like, this is really, really weird, but still F. Come on, I, I I can still feel that people are watching this and accepting it in the theater, and then you get to one moment, and I'm like, oh, that's why it got the F. Okay, it's so weird because like the whole time that was in the back of my mind, and I can point to the exact moment where the rating went from C minus to F, and everyone just said, screw this movie. I'm done, you know? And it, that was the moment where at first I was like, oh, that's too much for me. And then I started thinking about it. I'm like, actually, that was pretty brilliant. And I actually, now I'm I'm into it. And that's a movie, I think I had the reaction that you had for Blade Runner 2049, where you, you it was in your dreams, you were thinking about it. Like after I came out of Mother, I was like, that was cool, but I don't really know. And I haven't stopped thinking about it since, you know? So go see Mother. And uh, Blade Runner 2049. <laughs> It'll make a good double feature. I, I haven't seen Mother, but I would encourage people to see Blade Runner 20, 2049. And what I'd also encourage them to do is to join in with us and uh, start reading or rereading, if you will, Alan Dean Foster's Splinter of the Mind's Eye, inspired by another show here on the Nerd Party Owl Post, which is going through all of the Harry Potter books one chapter at a time. We're doing the same thing with Splinter of the Mind's Eye. And uh, so we've come to chapter three as a brief refresher in chapters one and two, Luke and Leia are flying to a peace conference in the Sarkarpa system. They encounter, well, Leia encounters uh, mechanical 
trouble. They wind up crash landing on Mimbin, which is Sercarpus 5. Luke sets out to find Leia. Luke finds Leia. They find their way to what appears to be a mining town, and they steal some clothes to fit in. And that essentially brings us to Chapter 3. So, Mike, uh, what goes down in Chapter 3? Well, in Chapter 3, uh, Luke and Leia go to a cantina, essentially, uh, to try to get some food and also perhaps find a way off of the planet, which they seem to be having trouble with. Uh, but at the same time, they're worried about uh, blending in. You know, they're, they're worried that they might be seen as outsiders or whatever. So, you know, they're there doing their thing, and uh, a, a, an old woman comes up to them and says, hey, you know, I'm on to you. Uh, you've got Force-sensitive stuff going on, and I do too. And, you know, I can help you, but in return, I need you to help me with this thing called the Kyber Crystal. Hmm, that's what? a familiar element. Yeah, and after some uh, suspicion... On Luke and Leia's part, you know, she shows them a shard of uh, of this crystal, and Luke touches it and feels all force tingly, and they decide to take this woman up on her offer. They do, and what's interesting is, as we know, this was being written as a possible sequel to Star Wars, and what is fascinating, I think what really has always set Empire Strikes Back apart is that it does what you don't expect in a sequel. It does not simply walk over the same territory. And this, if this had been the sequel, they're in a cantina, like you said. They're trying to get off planet, and they run across an old wizard, you know, force user in hiding, who is willing to help them in exchange for them helping with their quest. And it's like, oh, well, this is really just, in a sense, a riff so far off of uh, you know, Star Wars, it's, you know, it's changing a couple of aspects, but these are all very familiar things that we've encountered before. There's nothing really terribly expansive outside of, I mean, I guess learning more about how a mining operation works and the socio-political situation of the empire, which you could say Cloud City touches on. You have, you know, Hala, that's the character name of the, the old force-using woman, uh, do you get any shade of Yoda from her? Do you get just that she's a female Ben? Like, what's what's the vibe coming off of her to you? Like, I like this is my you know however many time reading it, I always have trouble getting a, a feel off of Hala at this point. I guess I would see more Yoda than Ben. You know, Ben is kind of like almost a reluctant um, mentor. You know, in, in in a way, but like with Yoda, I mean, obviously he's reluctant too, but. He's a bit more playful at the beginning and sort of like, hey, you know, think think outside of the box. And Luke is kind of like, I don't want to do that. You know, just like here, you know, she's like, look, I'm a force user. And she slightly moves a, a salt shaker, you know, or something, yeah. which is very similar to um, what would this be? The one of the first um, canonical books. Uh, in the new series, that that Luke book where he's, it's like told from like first person Luke whatever, where he's like doing his thing and he's like on the planet with like the face hugger. Yeah, the, uh, what was it? Heir to the Jedi. That's the book. yeah right. That book which was clearly written in the old continuity and basically 
makes absolutely no sense when you take into account uh, the the comic books. Yeah, that book. Hala is uh, an obstacle for me because the character is obviously very much just they needed a way off the planet, and so this character is introduced as the means to that. And so there's a very utilitarian sense to the character. But I think her moving the salt shaker, even though it's not as dramatic, is a, it expands the, the canon of force skills that we see with a more clear demonstration of the telekinetic power. And instead, in Empire, that gets transferred, and the thing that is better about Empire and, and its use of it, it's the opportunity to show Luke moving forward with his force skills. So it demonstrates a new force skill at the beginning of Empire, and Luke is the one doing it, so we get an instant sense that Luke has moved forward. Whereas in this, Luke is still very much this bright-eyed, bushy-tailed boy who still can't do anything. And so there's not even a sense of forward progress with Luke in this scene. I mean, it's interesting because, you know, growing up with these movies and everything and them being sort of like a part of, you know, my DNA, I never really think like, oh, you know, telekinesis wasn't introduced until Empire, you know? That's not just a thing that Jedi do. So it's interesting to think that it wasn't in A New Hope and here in this book, which was written before it was introduced in the movies, we actually get to see it here in action. So it, it must have been something which had been planned by Lucas, just not introduced yet. And I guess that's uh, kind of similar to, I mean, the fact that we see a kyber crystal, even though it's spelled differently and seems to have a different function. Well, but- it focuses the force, and that's always been i guess the the its place like there's always been variations on a theme but the a kyber crystal or the kyber crystal has always been whether it's a part of a lightsaber whether it's something that they find it it's an organic focal point for force energy so it can you know with the lightsaber you know the the very first lightsabers they were channeling blah 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 and all of that other stuff that makes everybody go cross-eyed half the time yeah i mean i don't know i mean obviously i don't know where it's going with this but i mean the way that kyber crystals have been used in the past seems to be uh different in that you know they're like a thing which exists you know but they're kind of plentiful in nature you know i mean like every lightsaber has one in it you know that kind of thing Whereas here it's like, there's this thing, it's called the Kyber Crystal. Right. And it's a big deal. You know, I mean, you don't see Luke saying like, well, I've got one of those in my lightsaber right here, you know, or whatever. But, you know, also the spelling is different. So I wonder if that's something that Lucas had established and then Foster adopted, or is it something where Lucas is like, you know, oh yeah, that's similar to this thing that I had, I guess, that that are also crystals. I'll just call them kyber crystals but i'm going to change the spelling i i think i think it's just something that evolved over time like he never used it and then he had the opportunity i mean you know the prequels are rife with things that he brought back from the idea graveyard you know character names situations planet names they were all there to begin with but they changed over time as he revisited the story so yeah kyber crystals were there but they weren't quite kyber crystals there were always twins in the mix but it wasn't always luke and leia and just as he worked out the story in his head, he just made, you know, th- those different types of decisions. I-, I think that one of the other interesting things about this chapter is that 
the portrayal of the Empire is definitely more menacing in The Empire Strikes Back than it really even is in, uh, you know, the not just the supporting materials, but yes, you have the Death Star, but the Imperial officers didn't carry that same, quite that same weight that they do in Empire and Jedi. And I think that this Imperial officer is much more reminiscent of the original Star Wars, where he's this, it's like everybody who wasn't Vader had this sort of a weak interpretation where like, you know, he comes over and he interrogates him. He's like, Oh, okay. Well, you know, I'm just going to go back to my government job as opposed to these stern military figures that wind up actually elevating Vader in a sense, because they're, well, I don't know. I mean, Ozzel does that, I I guess. And Veers does, but uh, the other Imperial officers, maybe they were a a cut above, but yeah, this Imperial officer almost seems more reminiscent of the guy we got in uh, the Star Wars Holiday Special than anything else. Yeah. 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 I can see that for sure. Still trying to figure out exactly what their roles are in the in the continuity and everything, you know. So to to add, oh no, it's the Empire. Um, mm-hmm. So, but but it, it it's funny again because this is supposed to be the low budget alternative sequel. And you you can see that even the description of this cantina that they're in feels smaller than the one that we got in uh, Star Wars. There's humans and one type of alien. So you've instantly cut the overhead of your costuming and makeup department right there. Although I guess that kind of makes sense for the story since we know that, uh, you know, the Empire is, you know, extremely racist and, you know, anything that's not a human is something which is, and that's something which I was actually curious to see when they walked into this place, you know, I'm like, is it going to be all humans or is it going to be a mix of aliens? Have they not quite established that the empire is, you know, an allegory for the Nazis yet? Or, uh, you know, are are we going to see mostly humans? And it was mostly humans, which is interesting. Yeah. I mean, and although you could make the argument back and forth, well, then shouldn't it have all been, aliens because they would have wanted to press all of them into service and treat them like others and and all of that type of thing but yeah i guess so i guess so i was just thinking more of like well this is a place where you can go to eat so all that being said you're you're still with uh, splinter of the mind's eye at this point yeah i'm excited to see where it goes and i'm excited to see you know what what could have been and also uh what we know and love which was maybe first seen here so we hope you're uh, joining us on this journey through Splinter of the Mind's Eye. We're just through Chapter 3. There's still time for you to join in. Mike, in the interim, if they want to trade notes with you about Blade Runner 2049, uh, The Force Awakens, comparing the two, or Splinter of the Mind's Eye, where can they find you? Well, you can find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K, and you can also find me on uh CommentaryTrackStars.com doing a show called Commentary Trackstars and you can find me on uh, Trek.fm doing a show called The Edge and another show called Stage 9 with you. That's right. We do Stage 9 over on Trek FM and then bouncing back here to the Nerd Party you can hear me on Aggressive Negotiations and then you can go out into the uh, outer rim wild regions of space and hear me on Words with Nerds with my pal Craig And otherwise, find me as Kessel Junkie out there on the social media networks. So join us next week when we come back to take a look at the visual aesthetic of what we've gotten so far in the sequel trilogy and Rogue One to demonstrate the Star Wars aesthetic. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.